Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, what the Thinking Coach with uh, David Petrozzolo. We're just waiting for David to join us. Um, it's a Q and A again today. We're going to go back and answer some of those questions that we missed last week due to the unfortunate uh, uh, technical difficulties we had with power outages, etc. Uh, here where I am in Perth, and uh, we're going to go back and we're going to answer those questions. We're going to go through. David's just on his way in and is about to join us in just a few minutes. So we'll be going through and we'll answer some of those questions that we missed uh, last week. And here's David. He's just joining us. And uh, g'day, mate. How are you? Good. How's everybody doing? Uh, pretty good. Let's hope we, we're, we're going to go, just say to our viewers, we're going back to answer some of those questions that we missed last week. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. Fingers crossed. I think we'll be right this week. There's not going to be any, any issues at my end. So, uh, unfortunately, last week, as I say, we had that that problem. Um, yeah, and uh, but uh, all back to normal this week. Yeah, looking forward to it. Hopefully, um, my Wi-Fi doesn't, uh, you know, start wandering across the border or anything like that, and we're uh, we're good to go on this end as well. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's get into it. Uh, we had we had a number of questions submitted, and we obviously missed a few of them. And if any if anyone is uh, with us, uh, I know we are on Facebook as well. And if you have questions, feel free to to uh, jump in and uh, let us know. Ask a question; we'll, we'll be more than happy to. Uh, well, we've seen me on Facebook, although it doesn't seem to. Have, uh, oh, it's triggered now. <laughs> it's funny how Facebook always seems to be uh, really further behind the feed than anything else. But anyway. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to jump on them and ask as well. Um, we had a few questions come in. We had, uh, so we'll go, we'll go through them. And uh, I thought we'd, we'd, uh, we'd kick off with this one. Um, how important is it for a coach to understand their players? And this is from mm -hmm. Emma in the UK. You know, I'm sorry, the first name was? Emma in the UK. Oh, Emma. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, I um, I think understanding your players is um, is really important. I, I think that's that's just the the foundation that you can build on to build a, to have a relationship with with your players um, to understand what motivates them and what demotivates them. Um, having a, a good some good insight into um, you know. Uh, how they how they get up for training or how they get up for competition or you know the types of triggers that they have um you know i think sometimes we we kind of expect you know athletes uh and coaches to a degree but especially athletes to kind of just get out there and do their thing and kind of like be completely oblivious to what's going on around them and you know not react and things like that and let's not forget you know we're all human and so we all have triggers um, and we all have, uh, you know, responses to different things that occur. So understanding, um, you know, who they are and, and how they react to certain things, knowing about their situation, their families, um, you know, getting um, to know them off the field or, or, or off the, uh, the plane surface or the plane environment, um, I think is just really important. I think it's a part of what makes uh, good coaching in 2021. Um, and as I, as I like to tell coaches, um, all the time, like if you aren't speaking with your, your players, um, you know, in between sessions or in environments other than at training or games, 
you know, you're, you're probably falling behind a little bit. And so, um, you know, getting to know them and understanding them will make you a better coach. And most importantly is going to, um, help them have uh, a better experience, um, with you as their coach. <coughs> Sorry, Dennis. Um, just a bit of a cough there. Um, well, another question from Emma in the UK. Um, she uh, submitted another one. Uh, what psychological battles do coaches face today? Oh, yeah, I think we, we spoke about that one um, last week, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we did. I remember that one. Did, did, did you cover that one? Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, Come on, Gerald. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, aren't I? Uh, okay. Um, oh, there's another, she did submit a couple of questions, so here's this one here. Uh, how can you motivate players to continue to train under difficult circumstances, uh, e.g. lack of facilities? Mm, there's a good one. Um, you know what? The uh, uh, That's something that a lot of us are facing. I know that we, we're facing it in a few different contexts, um, you know, right now, whether that's facility access or, you know, changing schedules or just not being able to get into the place where, where you are typically training, needing to train in different environments or, you know, I, I think, I think the wrong way to go about doing this is to sort of, you know, almost guilt trip, guilt, shame athletes by saying, you know, you know, we used to play outside, uh, you know, if, if you're an indoor sport like basketball, you know, like we used to play outside all the time. And, you know, what are you complaining about that, it, you know, we're not in a brand new, um, you know, pristine environment or things like that. Um, I don't think that's super effective. Um, what I would say, though, is you, you always try to find a way to turn every setback or less than ideal situation into an opportunity for them. Um and, and, and one way to do that is, I think, to say, look, like whenever we play or you play on the road with your school or your college or whatever, you know, you never really know what the environment is that you're going into. OK. Um, and so being in different environments or, 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 or being in a, you know, a darker gym or a gym, you know, just using basketball or a gym with, you know, walls that are far removed from the basket. Um, you know, which changes the depth perception and which changes the, the shooting, you know, how that uh, appears. You know, I've played in some wonky gyms and I've coached in some wonky looking gyms and, um, you know, it, it makes it all the better. I, I think we have to frame that as an opportunity to, to build some more experience and um, it can get frustrating for the athletes when they, um, you know, the facilities are not kind of what they're used to or what they're expecting. Um, but you know, I think we can, we can couple that with some life lessons about realities around the world and about, um, you know, how, um, how, you know, whatever facilities we might have, we're fortunate to have them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can make the best of the situation, no matter what the situation is. Um, there's still a way for us to get better together and there's still a way for us to, uh, to make some strides here. I agree with you on that. Uh, having been a coach and obviously coaching hockey, you know, where we, you rely on a, a turf being available for training and sometimes you rely on someone turning a set of lights on so that you can train at night mm. um, and those things don't happen. You know, you've got to be able to 
very quickly adapt to the situation in front of you. And I had that experience where uh, we were at training and um, the lights didn't, weren't, there was no one there to turn the lights on. So the lights weren't going to come on, which meant that under normal circumstances, you think, okay, well, what do you do now? You can't train. And my play group assumed that and they were all heading home to which I turned around and said, where do you all think you're going? And they said, well, we can't train. The lights aren't on. I said, yes, we can train. There's a lot of things we can do without those lights. Um, and the first thing we did was I bought the tennis ball out and I said, right, you're going to use the fact that it's dark and you're going to play hockey. You're going to play a modified version of the game without any hitting or anything like that using this tennis ball. And you're going to learn to use your, your other senses other than your eyesight to be able to determine where the players are on the pitch. Um, afterwards, they realised, geez, this is not so bad. This has helped us learn how to, you know, so you're, you are right. Um, lack of facility sometimes uh, or something wrong sometimes can be adapted quite successfully. Yeah, I agree. I think you nailed it there. Um, we've got a, a question here from Peter from Ireland. Um, how would you approach a big final as coach? Mm. Those are the you know, those are the, the highlight moments, right. Um, that we, uh, as competitors, we want to be a part of. And, um, the, the, the trick is remembering that it's everything that we did leading up to that moment that has even put us into that position. Um, and to respect that, um, that process of time rather than, you know, I'm going to figure some stuff out today. Um, you know, and chances are you are going to need to, uh, figure some stuff out right during the competition but really the, the 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 fact that you're in the big final that you've made the grand final you've made the the championship game of of your competition means that your team has done something right um so um for 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 the season for for a duration of time it's not a it, it's not like something that just occurred um and the reason i i start there is because um as coaches we we always try and preach to our athletes not to become caught up in the moment. Right. And when it's a big game and we know it's a big game, there's a, there's a coin and there's two sides to it. And, and both sides kind of make a little sense in my opinion, but we have to sit right on the right in between the two sides, like right on the edge of the coin. And the two sides are, you don't, you know, you want to say, hey, this is a game like any other, okay? Because that is also true. The rules are the same. The game is the same. The conditions might be different. The crowd might be different, okay? But when it comes to the competition um, itself, it's a game like any other. So we need to prepare ourselves the same way in a way that has gotten us to this point. It's no fluke. So all of the work that we have done has paid off. Let's continue to do that work so that we can continue to reap the rewards from that work. Um, by playing our way. Now, the other side of the coin is the fact of the matter that it is a big game. There is going to be different emotional, psychological, um, you know, uh, impacts and sort of the way that that affects us. Um, the crowd's going to be different. You know, the conditions are going to be different, all of those other things. Um, and so ignoring that and just pretending that, you know, the players are automatons that just go out and perform with no interaction with the outside world is also you know not going to work so you have to sit right on the edge of that coin 
um, and be able to, to go and pull from both sides. Because as a coach, um, you know, you don't want to be a distraction on game day, uh, uh, any game day, but in particular, a championship game where, you know, really now we're in a situation um, where it's time for the athletes, it's time for the team to go out and, and, and perform at the peak of their competition. Um, and to do that, you can't be a distraction. And a lot of times coaches become distractions um, by, uh, you know, becoming over, overly excited and overly involved and uh, in, in the moment the exact moment that we keep reminding our players to not get caught up in and to, and to, to trust the process um, of, of going from moment to moment to moment. So myself, when I've competed um, in, uh, in big games, both as an athlete and championship games as an athlete or as a coach, um, I, I, I give myself a lot of uh, time. There's one difference on big game days uh, for me, in terms of my sort of my my routine or my approach to it with the team and and with myself, and that is I give myself more time. Um, so, for example, if if I have uh, a typical time to be at the stadium or to 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 meet the to to meet the team or whatever it is that that is happening on that day, I do it earlier. Okay. Um, because I feel like, you know, th think about going into the water, right? Like if you're, if you're dipping your toe for the first time into a lake and that water is cold, the first couple minutes when you put your toe in there, you're cold. Mm -hmm. But if, if you get in there, after a few minutes of being in the water, your body adjusts to the temperature. So what I don't want to do is get into the lake, so to speak, of the competitive environment and experience all of the, you know, the, the, the anxiety, the pressure, the stress, the excitement, the, um, you know, the, everything that comes along with, with being now in that environment. I don't want to experience that all at the same time at once, um, you know, while I'm still trying to perform and prepare my team and, and, and everything else. I want to be in the environment and let my body adjust to it and sort of be around the team, be around the, you know, so we can kind of like breathe and, and sort of catch, gather ourselves and get back into our, our flow um, as a group. That works for me, um, you know, because I, I, I do get excited, right? Like, uh, like a lot of us do. Um, but that is a change to my sort of routine, I suppose, um, on big game days, on finals day and, and things like that. I just, I like more time. I like to adjust to the water, uh, to the temperature of the water uh, over time. Um, and I try to, I, I try to keep in mind that, you know, if we've gone, if we've gone in an entire season, you know, months, months and months of every day, um, you know, or however many times, you know, during your cycle as a, as a, as a team that you are together, you know, four times a week, two times, a week, it doesn't even matter, but you've gone your whole season seeing each other. Um, you know, you're not going to reinvent the wheel on, on finals day. Mm. Um, and, you know, they probably don't need to hear from me, um, for an extended period of time. Right. Because, they would literally have been hearing from me every day. Um, so 
I, I want to make sure that I, I'm not getting wrapped up in the moment by trying to wrap them up in my own processing of the moment. Um, the connections that I have have to be super, um, you know, helpful. I lean on those. Um, I lean on on how I know my team. I lean on how I know the individual players. Um, and by the time we reach that final, okay, I have a pretty good understanding of this is this is what the team really needs from me. Um, and this is what you know that that player, that player, that player might need from me. And um, I pour myself into that. And I've always found that those big games fly by at a at an astonishing rate. Um, because oftentimes we, we sort of let go, uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, the, 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 particularly the, the types of teams that I've had or the levels of competition that I've worked with, the players are so primed for performance by the time we reach that moment that it's almost like you just have to step a little bit back. Um, and, and they take the runway and they, and, and they lift off and, and, uh, they're just playing at such a high level. And so your job kind of changes a little bit as a coach. Um, you know, I do find, I do find about, you know, it is ultimately it's the last day of the season. Right. And that is very free as well. Okay. Cause th there's no next competition. There's no next day of practice. There's no it is the end it's you know in bat in the nba it is game seven day there is no game eight like it's done it's game seven okay um and that really frees you because you, you, you in a way you're in the the penultimate moment like you're almost there um you don't have to worry about some of these other things that you might have to worry about two months into an eight month season right player dynamics or anything else like now you're freed up to focus on winning that 60 minute 40 minute whatever the duration of the game is um and that's really really liberating uh i find as a coach the, the those monkeys are kind of off your shoulders you're not worried about that anymore you're just completely focused on on that game um which is not something you can typically do because you're always playing multiple games um, you know, when you're in a game, you're playing the, the, the long game, the short game, <laughs> the immediate, you know, the, the medium term game with your team all the time. But you know what, there is no, there's only right now. So uh, embrace, be where your feet are. Um, but uh, try to figure out how, how to best help yourself process all the anxieties and the stresses of the moment, um, so that you don't become a distraction. I guess in, in in linking into that a little bit, um, with the final, with the the big final, um, you may find that there are other things that occur on that day that take that have to take your attention away, such as uh, you might be asked to do an interview, or there might be uh, um, members of the club that you you know wanting your attention for a period to talk to you. Uh, how do you, as, as a coach, how do you deal with all of that? Uh, I guess the white noise that comes on those days, how do you deal with all of that and still be able, yeah. is it what you say is you get there earlier or, you know, do you have to build that into your, into your prep? 
I do. I do. You, you do have to build that into your prep and you got to build it into your time management for the day. So if I know, like if, if, if the game's at 7 PM um, and, you know, I, I know that I want to be in the building, you know, by two 30 uh, or three um, so I can hang out in the offices or, you know, whatever, get a workout in shower and, you know, et cetera. Um, then, you know, anything that needs to be done, like that is not sort of part of a typical pregame. So there might be pregame media that has to happen pregame at the, at the venue. Uh, um, that's something different, but when there's like, um, you know, unique sort of special stuff, I, I, I do whatever I can to make sure that it is being scheduled for me before that. Um, so if the game's at seven and there are like, there's a, a, a club function, it's gotta be a lunch function um you know or whatever the case may be so breakfast function you know that sort of thing i just build in the time and you know you coaches are maximizers so we we tend to just typically just take on more things do more things say yes to more things um and as long you got to know yourself so as long as you're in a space where you are um rock solid in what your job is and your job is to help your team win the game um, and that is, you know, in, in these job descriptions, right. There are, you know, maybe some people might put percentages, right. Like into like how much of your job on championship day, it's a pretty big percentage of your day of your job. Um, and as long as you're rock solid on that, having, having meeting some people and having some conversations are probably going to help you because it, it might take your mind off of you know, thinking about the specific details of your scheme or trying to game out, you know, 13 different possible scenarios um, to how they're going to counter what you're going to do and what your counter is going to be and their counter to the counter to the counter to the counter. I mean, honestly, it's endless. It's a rabbit hole. We could just end up in Wonderland if we just keep going far enough. Um, so having some some ways to to kind of break that a little bit is a good thing. Um, but for myself, I always make sure that I have the time that I need to do what I need to do for my team. Uh, cause that is my job that day. That is my, that is my job. So uh, in, in some ways, having those extra things can end up being a, a good distraction. Um, mm -hmm. if used, used wrong. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a little bit of a follow-up from that question is Bob from Darwin sort of asked, and this is more directed, I think probably yourself. What is your match day routine as a coach? Hmm. Great question. Um, well, my match day routine uh, usually starts pretty early in the day. Um, so, you know, when I'm in season, when I'm in a competitive season, that is pretty engaging, like with a, with a high performance team. Um, I like to start my days uh, early. So, you know, maybe a little bit before six. Um, and I like the quiet, uh, frankly. So I, I like the quiet. Our, our kids are usually early risers. So especially our middle child, he's, he's always been a very early riser. So I had to keep moving that needle back a little bit so I could get up and enjoy some quiet time. Um, but, you know, I like to start early. Um, I like to do some, some personal, you know, reading and, and things like that, kind of see where my head's at to start the day. Um, and, 
you know, on game days, it's been particularly helpful for me because I find that when I start the day um, in a particular space, like mentally, I, I tend to stay there. Um, and unless I really dedicate time and effort to, to you know, to, to getting myself out of uh, that space. So I'll give you an example. You know, I, I, I would wake up on a game day and I would just, you know, maybe we had a bad practice the night before or, you know, I had a bad recruiting meeting or something. And, you know, I just woke up and I was, you know, I was not happy, right? I'm just like, man, you know, we're, we're back to square one or whatever. And here I am going into my mindset going into the day. And that if you're not careful, I'll just carry that all the way through. All right. And, and it'll show up throughout the day. Um, so I like to start early. I like to make sure that I have some personal uh, time. Uh, I'm busy with the family, obviously. And so that's a part of my day. That's a part of my, uh, my match day routine, just everyday routine. Um, we can talk about being on the road because uh, that is something different, obviously, uh, when I'm away from home. But, um, you know, later in, in the morning, so typically uh, we would play um, like eight o'clock, uh, eight o'clock games or nine o'clock games in, in the evening. So, um, you know, in basketball, it's, it's a common thing to, uh, to have a, a uh, what we call a game day shoot or a game day practice. Uh, that sort of thing. And so depending on the type of schedule that we're in or how busy we are or what the the workload is on the athletes, typically we would have that around 11 o'clock, uh, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Um, and uh, we get into the gym, spend a bit of time, uh, you know, reviewing our our scheme, our strategies. I, I like to compete on game days. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how sort of common or or whatnot that is i think a lot of us enjoy that um i've uh, over the years i've just noticed that when we've gone through kind of a hey like let's just get through you know a couple things here and we've kind of carried over a lackadaisicalness um into the evening so you know we sweat and we work uh on our game days um we might even get a game day lift in uh in the weight room as well uh and um and so we get through that. And then, uh, you know, once once we're done with that and, you know, we the coaches have had our, our meeting after the shoot um, and we kind of break. Uh, and then I, I typically go home and sleep. Honestly, uh, I, I try to get a nap in. Um, and uh, uh, and then when I get to the building, you know, if we play again, if we play at eight, um, you know, I would want to get there probably around five. And uh, and then I'm I'm giving myself um, sort of that time um to 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 be, to be in the building see the players as they come in they come in they get their treatment you know that sort of stuff uh, but my my day on game days um is usually you know revolving around making sure that i have these these periods of time where i can i have the i have some quote unquote downtime so it's like the, the even if that means i got to get up at 5 45 um i have that time and then sometime during the day you know, I, I, I nap out and, um, you know, you know, get, get some sleep. Um, and, uh, and there's a science to napping, uh, you know, uh, napping effectively, there's a real science to napping. Um, and, uh, and so I don't think I've mastered it, <laughs> but, um, I remember one of my advisors in, in undergrad, you know, he was, as, as I was preparing for graduate school, he was like the, you, you're going to have to become an excellent napper because it's about the only way that you can get through, um, you know, 
all the different whatever you know the work that you've got to do and and the writing and the studying and the reading and the TAing and all that kind of stuff so um but I make sure to work that time in and then when it comes to the game uh, as we approach the game we have a we would have a pretty a pretty distinct routine so you know, uh, people would have need to, everybody would need to be in the building. Not, I, I don't necessarily make a report time. So like everybody in the building by 6.30 or at 6.30, I should say. Um, it's more so like you come in when you need to be there, but this is when you need to be, this is when we start what we need to start. Okay. And so that, that's always about 75 minutes before, before tip off. Um, I like time. But somebody else might just go crazy if they're in there for too long, right? Um, so, you know, I, I, there is some flexibility there for people to be themselves. Uh, but typically about 75 minutes in, 90 minutes in, depending on what we've got going on, that's our, our kind of window for everybody to be where they need to be. Um, and, uh, and then we just go through the rest and we, have a, a, we would have a very timed, you know, you know, at, uh, you know, X minutes before tip off X minutes before tip off, you know, et cetera, where we're doing this, that, or the next thing. And, um, and then off we go and post game, post game, I am, um, I, I never get to sleep um, until very late. And it's almost like I hit a magical wall around two thirty AM. And then, you know, then I'm like, all right, I'm done. Um, but before that, I'm, you know, one year, one year we were, uh, I always remember this, you know, one year we were, we're in our, our conference tournament, um, in the postseason, and, um, we played a, a very good nationally ranked opponent. Um, they were top, top two or three in the country. I think they were number three in the country at that time. And, um, in the opening round of the tournament, uh, and, and we beat them in the opening round of the tournament. And so they were eliminated from contention and now we were playing, um, we were moving on to play in the next round and moving towards um, a berth at the national championship as the tournament's kind of the way that it works. And, uh, you know, we played the, the eight o'clock game, you know, you're done by 10, you know, media, this, that team trying to like, you know, gather the troops and figure out, Hey, what's next on the horizon. And it was like, four o'clock in the morning by the time I got any sleep. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a mistake that I made as a coach because I, you know, I stuck to the routine, which was, we got a game today. We're in the gym. Here's our shoot time at 11. So in we go at 11. Um, and you know, that the shoot was not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't wasn't helpful for me wasn't helpful for the team when we went out in the next round and um our opponent had had two very good brazilians on their team uh like six nine very skilled um six nine six seven both very skilled um and um you know they beat us up pretty good we lost by 16 or 17 and you know i and i always wonder you know what like we were a bit a bit late to the ball a bit late to the rebound a bit late to the spot, a little bit more rest. Could we have gotten there? Could we have gotten that ball? You know, when it's a, a four point game and we needed to stop and we got it, but we couldn't collect it. 
they hit a three, it's a seven point game. You know, like these are the things that drive you insane as a coach. Um, but yeah, anyway, long story short, um, my routine in the day, uh, I always make sure to make room for, for the family and what I have to do, um, you know, with them. And, and of course, make time for myself and make sure that I'm available to the team when I need to be. Um, but uh, that gives you a bit of a snapshot. I hope that answers the question there, Bob. Yeah, I, I sort of understand where you're coming from because I, I, from a coaching point of view, you know, coach, people, you always used to be a bit surprised when I'd say to them before I go, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, people say to me, oh, I'll give you a lift to the game. And I'd say, no, no, that's fine. I'll, I'll, because I like the tradition. I used to catch public transport, I used to catch a train or a bus or trains and buses to games. And people you couldn't understand why I used to do it. And part of that was because I wanted that, like you say, I wanted that alone time, that time where mm. I could, could be with myself and actually think about what was lying ahead. So, you know, it is important, isn't it, that that being able to take that time for yourself uh, in the lead up to a game. Very important. That's that, and that's such a cool strategy, Jerome. I love that. Um, you know, the uh, taking public transit. It's you know because that, that speaks so much to me. I love working in cafes. And I am surrounded by people, but I am absorbed in my in my space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find myself so productive when I'm when I'm there. Um, always been through undergrad and grad and and you know work or whatever. I just I would sit there and I would just get so much done. Um, and uh, it's um, like that, right? Like it's 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 uh, you can be with your own thoughts, surrounded by people, and um, that's really cool. So I like that strategy uh, or that that approach, that, that idea. Yeah, I used to like the romanticism of it. You know, I think that was that was more than anything. The, uh, you know, the thoughts of being, you know, like you say, uh, and uh, you know, particularly when you're on a train, you used to be able to sit down and talk to someone, and you were often talking to, as I say, I often talk to people that about anything other than what I was doing that day or what they were about and who they were, I would have a conversation about who they were and found out a lot of information about them. Um, it was just being able to be alone with with my thoughts, but in, a, in an environment where you know, it was a bit different. So it, it, mm-hmm. it's all part of that routine. It's all part of having a route, your own, uh, as a coach, having your own routine and doing it your way. Um, yes. I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And we've talked about that so often eh, during these conversations about, um, you know, coaches needing to take the time to figure themselves out and, and figure out what works for them, what seems to make sense for them. Um, and uh, uh, and that is that's so important because, you know, doing something that works for you or I or or somebody else. Um, you know, it's okay to take some ideas and to see if, if you could apply something uh, in your own way, but you, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta know yourself, right. Um, and, uh, and find ways um, to, to make sure that you're meeting your needs in the way that you need to meet them. This one is from Jenny in Bunbury and it's, it's related around selection, selection process. Did you say Bunbury? Bunbury, yeah. So it's here in WA. Bunbury is like, hey, I want to, you know, I've lived in Bunbury. I've, I've coached in Bunbury. Beautiful place. I, I love Bunbury. 
I, I, you know, we often say we would go back. Bunbury is in our top. It's in our top two or three of, of any place that we have ever lived there. We still have a lot of great friends in Bunbury. Um, I have a lot of love for Bunbury. So when you said Bunbury, I'm like, hey, what? Hey, oh, okay. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Bunbury, <laughs> lovely place. Lovely place. It's only, what was it, only an hour, hour down the road from here. So. Uh, it's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great memories for us in, in Bunbury. We are still very connected to that, to that place. It's, it's yeah, lovely place. It's always been very good to me. Um, okay, here we go. How do you approach the selection process as a coach? And should it be you as the coach that informs players of non-selection or should it be someone else? Mm-hmm. Great question. Great question. Do we know what sport? Um, um, I believe the sport is... Well, it, it says football. Now, that could be soccer or it could be AFL. It, it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Um, you know, I, I think approaching it as a coach uh, is, is a really important question, right? Like the manner in which, the manner in which we uh, tackle this question is, is just because choosing our team is, is such it is the critical component. Like any anything that we do um, is only going to be done based on what we have as a playing group about the people that we've got together. Um, you know the the type of the type of um, um, connection that they build together, the type of culture that they build together, the way that they play together. Okay, like the team is everything. So. You know, selecting players is um, is obviously a really important thing. Um, so it's important, you know, like how should we approach it um, in terms of as a coach? It's important to know what you're looking for. It's really important to know what you're looking for. And what what are you looking to select? And what are you looking to deselect as um, characteristics, as, as playing characteristics, as you know, uh, behavior characteristics, you know, when you have, you know, on, on the computer, right? Like you've got these options to select all or deselect all. Well, we are doing that when it comes to our evaluation of, of talent, our evaluation of, of people, um, of the player, of the person. Um, is this a person that is going to fit into our group, fit into our culture that is going to be coachable or whatever the variables are that matter to you? Um, you know, you, it, it's equally important to know what to deselect um, as it is to know what to select and, and how you weigh those things. Because sometimes, you know, a player uh, will look fantastic uh, in certain environments. And, and that could be on court and it could be off, off, on field or off field. Mm. For example, um, there are some players who are just, they're so engaging. Like as a person, you're like, you're a really nice person. Um, and I enjoy speaking with you. I enjoy spending time with you. Um, and, and that matters a lot. That matters a lot. But if you're in a high performance environment, they also need to be able to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, the flip side of that is equally true. There are some players who, man, they look amazing in their performance. You know, they seem to be just able to tick boxes and to do the, the do the things athletically that 
you need players to do. But do you want to be around them? And are they coachable? And do they look like a good teammate? And all of these different things. Um, so it's it's not enough to be a, a great person. They also have to be able to perform. And it's not enough to perform. They also need to be a good person. Um, so these, like, you got to know what to select and what to deselect. And, and it has to be about how you mesh things together, um, how things work with your you know, coaching philosophy, your tactical approach, the style of play that you're, you know, going to look to play, uh, to implement with your group. Obviously that varies by age. It varies by level of competition. It might be something associated with the club. It might be something associated with, um, you know, if you're at a senior level, then, you know, you're, you're probably setting, setting some things and you, you, maybe you have a lot of flexibility because player recruitment, player signings or whatever the case is. Okay. Um, but ultimately you just need to know what you're looking for. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then I think personally that, um, provided that it's feasible, provided that it's feasible. Um, I think that it's, it's important to, um, deliver the information yourself as, as a head coach. Um, and so, you know, we, that's going to look different, differently in different situations. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the question about like, is it you who should deliver that information or someone else? I think ultimately, um, if you are the person leading the decision-making group, uh, which you might not always be, frankly, uh, there could be selection committees or, or however, general managers, uh, you know, who make roster decisions and you as the coach need to coach the group that you have, so to speak. But if you are a part of that process, then um, a leading part of that process, then you need to you need to, to be the person who is communicating that. You need to make yourself available uh, to the people who want to discuss, um, you know, that. Um, and again, I think the, the the way that you do this is going to is going to um, to be super different, right? It's going to be really, really different based on the level, the age, et cetera. I, I would um, that I just listened just a couple of days ago. Um, I listened to a really, really interesting interview with Anson Dorns. Um, and uh, and I mean, I've I've listened to to coach talk a lot. Um, you know, I mean, he's pretty good, um, a pretty good resource and, and always so like, I learned something every time I read something or I listen to a new interview or whatever the case may be, you know, he's a long time, multiple championship winning, uh, women's soccer coach at the university of North Carolina. Um, and, um, also, um, national team, um, women's national team coach for the United States. And, you know, he, he, he shared some really interesting perspective on team selection um, and the communication of that uh, to, and this is at a, a senior national team level uh, for uh, women's soccer. And, you know, he had some different, some different ideas about that. And I, I think, you know, I mentioned that uh, because um, I think it's important that people, that coaches, you know, take, take the opportunity to try and find different ways to do things, you know, like, like putting things up on a bulletin board, you know, it worked when everybody had a bulletin board, I guess, uh, you know, it's not quite the same anyway, anymore, um, you know, and then the communication of things and then keeping in mind, like, 
there's an ongoing relationship there probably, right? Like if, if you, if you're selecting a set, an 18 U team um, and you have 45 players that have been invited or that are participating in this selection camp and you have a roster of uh, 14, um, you know, you're probably not dismissing the other group of players that don't make them out of hand. Um, you, you know, maybe they're playing on development teams or they're playing at maybe they were younger moving up. And so, you know, if, if you're not communicating with them in a way that is continuing to move them along the pathway, um, I think you're I think you're missing the boat. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would say, in my opinion, if as a coach, you are a part of that decision making process and a major part of it, then, yes, I think you should be. Um, you know, a part of the delivery. And that includes anyone else as well. I don't think coaches should be put out there, you know, to be the first over the trench, so to speak, uh, you know, on their own um, when, um, you know, when there are other people involved, uh, the other people need to be right alongside you um, and to have those conversations because many of them are going to be difficult, but they're all going to be worthwhile because ultimately, you know, you're helping the athlete. I hope you're helping the athlete understand that this is about their continuum of development and where they are at the moment. Um, and sometimes it's about, you know, helping them understand that the way they see themselves isn't the way that, that either the coaches or their, their peers see them either. And, um, you know, um, coach Dorrance had some interesting ideas about how they went about um, changing some of the delivery of the information to include um you know, where the senior players and by the senior players, we're talking about the, the starting 10, like the Mia hams and the, you know, like the, these, these, these well-respected, well-regarded players um, where having them involved in ranking uh, and drafting uh, was, was the process they went through. They drafted their teammates. And if a player thinks they should be making the team and, it, and are being told by their friends who don't want them to be upset. Hey, you should have made, I can't believe you didn't make the team. Well, the starting 10, these, these all-stars that everybody respects because they're the best and they work the hardest and they're great people, et cetera. Um, I mean, they, they had you, they were drafting you number 29 or number 30. Um, and, and, you know, you're well away from the 22 or whatever it was that, that, uh, that they were, that they were looking for. So, yeah, I think, I don't think there's a one, one size fits all answer, but I do think that coaches should be involved. And I think that, um, you know, as I say, it's important to know what you're selecting and also what you're deselecting. It is one of the hardest things we do, isn't it really? At the end of the day, it, it, it you know, we, it, I, I likened it once to feeling like I was the executioner, um, you know, when, when I had to do it. But it's something you, you do and it's something you have to do. Um, and you're right, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to it. There's, there's so many different ways of handling it, for sure. There are. There are. And I think, you know, we, we, we have to be okay with the fact that, you know, people are going to be upset. Um, it's like, I think I said it before, right? Like if you want to make everybody happy, sell ice cream, don't coach. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's okay. You know, like people it's, it's all right. We're not always happy and they're not always happy. And that's just the way it is. 
Um, however, there can be um, discontent without being distrust. Um, and there can be unhappiness without there being, um, you know, a negativity that creates other issues. And again, it is about the continuum of development for that athlete and for the team. And so, yeah, there are situations where, you know, a player might be uh, deselected uh, and that's the end of it uh, for various reasons. Okay. That's fine. It happens. Um, but particularly in a club format, like, you know, you're, you're looking to probably have those athletes be a part of the program from the time they're U9, U10, um, you know, whatever, um, rolling through until they're U20, U18, U19, um, et cetera. Um, and if you have a senior team, then into their senior, their senior life. And so maintaining, maintaining a positive relationship is, is very important. And so the, the body language, the tone, the intonation, the manner in which you deliver the information, I mean, you can be you can be a jerk um, or you can be uncaring um, and, um, you know, or you can, you can, you know, use statement of fact and just like, th this is where we are. This is the situation at the moment. Here is what we would like to leave you with in terms of some things to think about. Let's talk about those. What are your thoughts? Let's talk about those. Um, you know, it's important to have real metrics so it's not, well, coach P thought this and coach B is that, and this, and that, and this, and that, um, it's like, here, here are some results, um, you know, some, some quantitative, uh, variables that matter to us in our style of play. Okay. Um, and so on and so forth, you know, it, it has to be connected to all elements of your culture. You know, it could be, you know, for example, um, it could be a, a cultural uh, a variable, you know, you, you, you didn't think, for example, you, you only thank the passer on a pass leading to a basket on, you know, 30% of your assisted baskets. And now I'm saying like, th th this is, if we're working with older players, like this should be part of what, what it is that they do, if that is something you believe in. Um, and so, you know, and then some other things like you, you were last in conditioning or you were in the bottom, you know, whatever percentile of conditioning. So you're, you're undisciplined, hence you're unfit. You're selfish because you're not connecting with other people and recognizing their contribution to your success. And these are not flukes. This is what we've noticed over the past, you know, X number of weeks, um, or whatnot. Um, these things matter. And it's not the first time that they would be hearing this, um, you know, because presumably the coach has spent a lot of time articulating what matters and showing why it matters, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, your performance says, you know, you're, you're getting beat X, Y, Z, or you're not shooting the ball X, Y, Z, or your one touch passing is, you know, you're turning the ball over X, Y, Z. So these, these variables matter. So it's not just, you know, well, Jerome or, or David, they don't like me. Um, and so, you know, the heck with them, mm. uh, you know, there's, uh, because ultimately it's not about protecting yourself. It's not about making, making yourself be correct or be right. It's about it. It's even in those moments, it's always about helping the athlete get better. And so what do you need to provide the athlete 
to get past, okay, the, the narrative, the story that they're telling themselves about why they didn't make the team. What do you need to do that? And if you are going into that engagement, that, that conversation with nothing to provide, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, you know, so you, you, you have to think about a full uh, comprehensive process so that you are able to help the athlete move along their continuum, whether that's in or out of the current group. All right. Well, we're going to try and squeeze in two more questions before we, we wrap her up. Um, this one is an interesting one. It comes from Ant in London, UK. I don't know if that's the famous Ant of the Ant and Deck uh, vintage, but uh, uh, he asks, uh, I'm assuming it's a he, uh, Ant, uh, how do you control your emotions as a coach during a game? And what is your view on the best approach to do this? My emotions um, fluctuate wildly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I make no bones about it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty fiery person. I'm very uh, emotional. Um, it's the French and the Italian and the mixing up of all of that, all of that good, good stuff. Um, so, you know, I think as a younger coach, I definitely wore those on my sleeve, right. Um, a lot. And, um, you know, I think that the, we have to distinguish between emotions and reactions. Oftentimes we, we conflate them. You know, like we merge the emotions that we feel and the reactions that we have to something occurring in the game. It's the reactions that will get you, right? It's the reactions that will get you. Um, so, for example, if, if, if something happens in the game and there's a huge mistake, okay, made by your player uh, or by your team or whatever the case is, the emotion that you'll feel will be a mix of frustration, disappointment, um, okay, whatever the case is. The reaction that you have to the events and then the reaction to the emotion, that's where you, you need to kind of like in, intercept the emotion before the emotion turns into a negative reaction that could cascade into a range of other uh, reactions. You know, if you're hanging your head or you're, you know, you're constantly like, like, what the heck are you guys doing out there? You know, um, you know, because at the end of the day, if they don't know what they're doing, it's because you haven't helped them prepare. So really, uh, the coaches that kind of throw their hands up and be like, I don't know what these guys are doing out there. Chances are your preparation has been subpar. Um, so, you know, intercepting the emotion that we know we're going to feel when something goes wrong in particular um the going right piece also you know when something goes right when there's a huge play like we can get fired up and and get excited about that but we also have to intercept that before it becomes an a reaction um that that is a dis distraction right um so i get emotional what I've tried to do over the years is, is get better at intercepting the emotion before it becomes a reaction. Um, and I've, I've really made conscious efforts at becoming 
um, a little bit more stoic when it comes to um, and sort of steady when it comes to the uh, the ups and downs of things that occur during a game. Um, I like I like to I, I like to tell coaches all the time if if you live and die on every hill or every play or every whatever, um, you're going to die as much as you live. And, you know, as a coach, we are always trying to help our athletes become better focused at playing the next play. What's the next play? What's the next play? And so, you know, learn, move on, right? Learn, move on, next play, next play, next play. Without whitewashing things and just pretending things don't exist, right? You have to speak truth to the situation. But um, nobody's out there screwing up on purpose. So if somebody makes a mistake and you just lose your mind, um, you know, at the drop of a hat, it's probably not helpful. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's okay to get fired up in a positive way too, but that's also probably not helpful if you're kind of losing your mind. Um, and maybe you miss the next thing that you should be doing. Okay. So myself, I've really had to pour in time and effort at becoming better at intercepting these emotions before they become reactions. Um, becoming a little bit more stoic on the sideline, a little bit less, you know, sort of like, okay, I'm watching things and a little bit less kind of in every moment living and dying. Um, but, you know, you, you, you have to, you should be coaching the games the same way you coach practice basically uh, is where I want to end off on this point. And if in practice, you are not a, a fiery person, don't turn into a fiery person on game day because the team's not going to know what the heck's going on. Um, and if you are a fiery person uh, in practice and you're just like an engaged person, then you should continue to be so in whatever way makes sense um, for, for, the, for the team and for the competition. Um, you know, there have been instances where <clears throat> my team has in the past has um, we have just not been connected to the moment. We have just not been connected. And we are just getting beat in every facet of the game. Every facet of the game. And um, and there are days like that, right? So, you know, I've I've done a few different things. Happened a, a couple few times, obviously, over the years. And the most recent example, you know, I took... My approach was basically... I stood there and I said, not much. Um, and, you know, we managed the game as a staff. Um, we, you know, it became clear early on. We, we took, took early time out, you know, tried to light a fire. Okay. You know, became for whatever reason, it was just not our day. And so rather than um, there's two aspects there. One is, you know, we're, I didn't want to throw them a crutch, okay, to lean on, um, because ultimately in that situation, it was, it really came down to our willingness to be connected and to compete in that, in that game. Um, you know, so we played the same, one team beat us, you know, by 38, uh, and we played them, you know, a week later or something like that, or a couple of weeks later in the next round. And uh, we lost again, but it was a three-point game, and we had a chance to. To I mean, we were, it was it was what the game should have been, really. Um, and so, rather than give them a crutch of, um, you know, it was really sort of like demonstrating to them that we are in complete control of our performance here. 
um, and credit to them, but this is on us. Um, and, and, you know, we spoke about that very forcefully after the game, but not in game, not in game. Um, cause I didn't want to distract from the moment and what we were all feeling. And it sucked. It sucked. Like, and I didn't want to take away from that. I wanted us all to, to, you know, like the Marines say, right. Embrace the suck. Okay. Embrace the suck. Sometimes it sucks. Well, you got to embrace it. So, um, you know, that was one approach that I, that I took. And then we, we addressed it together as a team and, and we made some strides from there, but, um, you know, really the, the, the emotions happen. Okay. How much emotion gets through the interception? That's, that's up to each person, but be the same person in game that you are in practice. Um, and, you know, don't, don't fake it either way. Um, and so I think it's just kind of natural that over the years, maybe coaches are going to develop a little bit of a, uh, a different flow, because if, if we're coaching the same way t- that we did 20 years ago, um, you know, we, we probably haven't spent much time trying to get better, um, you know, because there's always ways to, to change how we do things. So that's how I would answer that. Well, thank you again, David, for, for being a part of this and, and, and answering some questions. We've still got a few questions there. We're going to do this again because essentially a lot of questions out there from coaches, we're getting them. We're getting them coming in, which is a good thing. So there's a, there's a lot a lot of coaches out there keen to to pick your brains, keen to ask some questions and find out what how how to go about certain things. So we'll do this all again. We'll keep we'll we'll keep coming with these sort of these sort of Q and A's because you know, it's good it's good to hear from coaches out there who have got questions that um, perhaps they're struggling to get answers to where they are and they they're seeking yeah. wherever they can get it. Yeah, I love it. I love the Q and A. Um, it's great to to know where the all these all these coaches are. Like I'm really enjoying, um, you know, hearing from coaches from all over the place with these questions. Um, happy to keep happy to keep that going. Shout out to Bunbury. So like that was great as a highlight. Um, you know, uh, to have a question from there. Shout out, you know, Bunbury basketball. Shout out Southwest Slammers. Uh, shout out Mojo's uh, down there. Some good coffee. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, you know all these all these spots. Um, you know we used to we used to drive by the Black Rocks and go down. And um, there was a, a gentleman who had a fruit truck, and we would go buy fruit down by the water and further up. And um, you know, yeah, man, we love we love Bunbury. So so I was just. Uh, the more questions we get from Bunbury, you know, that's, uh, that's going to make, that's going to make my day. So shout out to all the Bunbury folks, Margaret river, um, you know, the whole Southwest there, um, you know, WA is one of our, one of our uh, favorite spots. It was great to hear from, from somebody from down there. So more questions from West Australia folks. We want more questions from <laughs> West Australia. Shout um, out to Queensland too. I got to say like, oh, oh, yeah, my, yeah, sure. my, my, yeah, my folks in Queensland, you know, we, we were out there too. We love Queensland, you know, the, uh, you know, Bunbury has a special place in our heart because it was the first, it was our first um, experience in Australia. So, you know, obviously it, um, we're closely connected to that, but, you know, I don't, I don't want to leave the Queen, the Queenslanders angry at me or anything like that. So shout out to you guys sure. too. Yeah. Can't leave the <laughs> Queenslanders angry. Can't leave them angry. They, they do, they do, they do get a little bit upset when, when they're left out. <laughs> it's all good. All right. Well, thank you again, David. Thank you for being a part of it. And we'll catch everyone again next week for another episode. 
Sounds good, Jerome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, man.